You're listening to the Marketing Made Inclusive podcast. Tune in each week to learn how we can all make inclusive marketing the industry standard. Welcome and welcome back to the Marketing Made Inclusive podcast. I am your host, Joanne Boyce. And today we have a special guest. All my guests are special, but I've known David for a minute. David Mar Roberts. Hi, David. How are you? I'm good, Joanne. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I have been excited to have you on the podcast because I think your podcast was one of the first I did. Oh. Yeah. And I was just like on the podcast, taking notes, taking notes. So you've inspired me, but please do let the people know a little bit about you and your background. Sure. Well, um, so I have been in digital media and tech startup world for the past 25, 30 years. Um, I started my life in publishing um, away from university. I was an, I was the editor of the student magazine or student newspaper in Cardiff. That's how I got into journalism and into understanding how to build your own newspaper. And then I went to a job at Future Publishing um, in Bath and worked on computer game magazines. And then, you know, I sort of accelerate through that. I I then moved from magazines into digital. So I launched Games Radar and Tech Radar, all of those big, massive websites that are out these days. Um, And I ran all of the digital stuff for future globally. So I I did a lot of work with um, consumer stuff. And then I went to tech startups and worked Mm -hmm. for Peter Gabriel. And I was the CEO of a startup for him called The Filter, which was a music, um, machine learning music playlist tool, um, which we then turned into because we couldn't make much money out of that. And we turned it into a, a recommendation engine for videos mainly. So we plugged it into Daily Motion, the big video site, for example. But we also mm-hmm. use it for music with Sony Music and uh, a lot of other clients and um in the UK, the BT Vision set-top box um, used use that re- that recommendation technologies to recommend what you might want to watch next. Um, so I really got into tech and startups, and uh, I then did various other things. I, I basically launched, um, created and launched Tech Spark that you probably know, given that you're very involved with it. Um, and uh, with a bunch of friends, we also launched the Sparkies, started mm-hmm. that whole thing going and, you know, did that for five, six years before handing it over to a professional team, as opposed to us, that we were a bunch of volunteers trying to do it in our spare time. Um, and then, yeah, I've since then, I've basically worked for another publishing company, Immediate Media, who have a lot of um, BBC uh, properties like Top Gear and BBC Good Food and stuff like that. And I ran their sports division, so I looked after all of the sports side of things. And then I joined a marketing agency called mm-hmm. Dialect. So that was back in 2017. Uh, it was an American um, agency that was based in San Francisco, run by a couple of friends of mine. And they had just won Logitech as a client. Mm-hmm. And there was only like eight or 10 of them. And they suddenly won this global client. And they were like, oh, my God, we need some help. How can you help us build a team? So I joined them and as COO and built their team. And it then went on to be like 80 plus people and a really big thing. So that was a journey um, and did that for six years. And then since then, I, I left in May and of this year 
And I've basically gone back to startup world and looking after founders, advising companies like I advise Gravity Well, who are Bristol's venture studio. Mm-hmm. And I advise 1860, who are a podcast production agency um, based in Bristol as well. And I advise Bristol Innovations, which is a part of the university. So that's kind of gives you a bit of a tour. I haven't mentioned my podcast in the process because right right now they're kind of all asleep. But uh, but I have I've loved I love podcasting, as you know. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the reasons I work with 1860, the podcast agency, is they do podcasts for brands. And so I can still do a little bit of podcasting by actually helping them with my business experience. Um, but I had my own podcasts. I had a project called um pod world which is a podcast recommendation podcast oh so that one was great i was doing that with uh, louise blaine a friend of mine who's like she's the professional in the group uh she's like a proper radio presenter and we did that during pretty much throughout lockdown we did mm-hmm. two we did about 24 episodes and the idea was we would choose a theme like love or murder or something and then we would recommend podcasts that we would uh have a listen to so that was the idea of pod world i didn't know about pod world <clears throat> so you had a podcast talking about other podcasts yes it's very meta um but because louise and i are such massive podcast fans we could just yeah talk about podcasts all the time and during lockdown obviously podcast um listener numbers went through the roof so Mm -hmm. we just thought oh you know people have got time let's do a show about podcasts and then we would invite other podcasters on and chat about podcasting so we had yeah it was it was really good fun um and then I had the one that we um talked about I think I can't remember it was either what now which was a marketing podcast was it that one yeah it was what now so what now was again done during the pandemic and that was really done for dialect for my agency it was it was basically what the hell is happening out there you know what what do we do now so we spoke to marketeers across um you know across the uk and that was really good fun but the first project i did was called seeking out the next generation and that i did um as a group project with basically hmm. about seven or eight kids as i like to call them but they're they're probably all in their early 20s Um, but it involves uh, my daughter Ella who's um, who's a big fan of podcasting and it involved all the youngsters at my agency pretty much and the idea was there are so many great young people out there with really inspirational stories but they don't necessarily have a platform frequently because um, and this does probably talk to your the general idea of inclusivity mm-hmm. because you know most platforms are owned and run by the sort of usual people that own and run media right so the stories tend to be always either older people i don't mean super old but like you know people my age right and so i, w- I was just inspired by these incredible 17 18 year olds and there was a whole raft of raft of stories from people who had um, got through battle through illness other people who uh, there was this one guy who played for Manchester City as a as a kid and then got these terrible injuries and he basically his entire dreams just collapsed and then he reinvented himself as this incredible businessman you know and ended up on The Apprentice so it was yeah lots of great stories so 
that's that was a long ramble and intro but there you go that was me that's me so far it's a multifaceted career but there's a general theme throughout um, of media and content in all shapes and forms like even when I had a look and you were talking about publishing I was just like I know you so much as a digital person that the idea that you published and printed physical things I know I'm speaking like a zennial or millennial or whatever but it was like the oh, idea snap. there were things that you there were things <laughs> and really? like you, you had to do marketing Deal? and that was it you had that box how how was that shift because I imagine I never did print publishing I never did print marketing to me it seems like a whole different world but how was the shift from that to digital it's it, it's it's a completely different world. So the the shift is very was very and still is for some companies very challenging because the business model for starters the business model is completely different mm. because predominantly content is free in the in the digital world. Now that's changing actually in the most recent times that has started to change, but but certainly for the first 10, 15 years of the revolution it it, it was free. Mm-hmm. And um, I came from a world of specialist publishing, which were like computer game magazines, um, movie magazines. And these were all magazines you could charge. I ran the official PlayStation magazine for a long time, which was the biggest magazine in computer games. It sold 400,000 copies a month at its height for £4.99. So, you know, it had a disc on the front, which was one of the reasons. And so before the internet, uh, yeah. you would use the disc to play demos of the games you might mm. want to buy. So it was a fantastic marketing and distribution vehicle for Sony and the publishers. Uh, and then we obviously had an editorial team around that would that would pack it full of great content at the same time. But when you shift that to an internet model, um, there's no reason to charge for it. Uh, it becomes okay. It becomes an advertising-led model. So suddenly you're going from niche publishing, um, and PlayStation's a bad example at 400,000 copies because most other niches were small. They were sub 100,000 a month, right? You go from niche to suddenly you're having to make money through advertising, which is a volume model. So suddenly you're having to do. You can't be that niche because if you're too niche, you make no money. So, uh, so yeah, it, it was it was seismic um, the change. I I'm lucky that I've always been interested in technology. I think that's the other the other constant through my career is not just being communication, media communication. It's been also technology. Mm-hmm. So you know, at the university, we were one of the first. We moved to desktop publishing from cutting up bromides, which obviously you're too young for this sort of no stuff. <laughs> but cutting up bromides, you used to have to print out on the special paper your stories in just strips and you would cut them and paste them as how you would how they would be laid out oh yeah man it was crazy. copy editing then must have been painful and, and then if you saw a typo you would cut it out with a scalpel <laughs> but anyway that's that's gone off on a tangent but yes so the shifts from that to desktop publishing was we do it all on the computer and print it out as a page so i mm. i led that at the university and and then that that got me my job because I, I moved to Future that was really advanced for a publishing house. They were already on desktop publishing. They were already on Apple computers uh, back in, this was what, 93, 92, 93, so quite early on. Mm-hmm. And so all throughout my career, when I was doing print, the transition for me was I spotted early on that 
that this is going to change the world. And I think I was surrounded by a lot of ostriches who were like burying their heads. Yeah, so I, I sprint for life. And they were very scared of it because it was they thought for their careers, this is going to, this makes no sense. You can't make any money. So they would stay away from it. So at Future, I I was lucky. I could just put my hand up and go, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll take this on. And so I was given this crazy role at a fairly young age to run digital for for the global you know global corporation so that was that was fun um i can imagine uh, but yeah it took ages to figure out and i think futures only just in the last five years figured it out and Mm -hmm. they are now a success story because they've realized that that actually content doesn't operate in a vacuum online content is the way to attract attention and engage people and you actually then move them down a funnel towards e-commerce. And once they got comfortable with that, they suddenly realized, you know, the SEO process, you know, the, and now that if you ever look for gift ideas for men, you will come across like a tech radar article or something Mm -hmm. like that. So, so they've managed the transition, but this is, you know, it's taken 20 years. Um, So yeah. brutal, brutal. And in that time, I can imagine well, first off, I'm assuming, tell me if I'm wrong, inclusive marketing as a concept wasn't even a thing. Yeah. So what does it mean to you in relation to your like career journey? That's such a good question. So um, I guess there's trying to think of the best way to answer this. I think certainly in my publishing journey, mm-hmm. um, inclusivity generally was not a thing and and actually um you know I, I i operated in a very white male dominated um salesy let's even call it environment that was okay. was for me it was very uncomfortable um just uh you know i i didn't talk too much about my background but i i'm obviously a white guy in my 50s but i grew up um I didn't grow up in the UK. I grew up in Belgium. I and I grew up in an international environment. So my my mother's French, mm-hmm. um, my father's British, and actually my wife is Dutch and Irish. And even though that that's certainly all white, it's a, it's it's the from a cultural perspective. Mm-hmm. You had it, some stuff around you. You had difference exactly. around you. Yeah, yeah. And I went to school in an international school, so I have I had friends that were all like from yeah, I'm from quite well off backgrounds. I think that's the important thing. But they were. From they were diplomats from Egypt and from Mauritius and you know and so so culturally and and you know my first girlfriend was Danish and it was it's basically I've always loved being surrounded by cultural differences that that is definitely at my core. So the reason I'm saying that is that when I was in this publishing this British publishing environment, mm-hmm. it was it's quite uncomfortable because it was it was very single mindedly English British. Mm. Uh, but it was also very male and the the environment for women there was was atrocious really really atrocious the way that guys would talk about them the uh witness some some pretty horrific um yeah just just the classic stuff from the 90s of guys drinking at lunchtime and being um oafs i'm gonna say rather than swearing too much um but you can swear i i've sworn to me <laughs> um but i'm curious to know because I'm assuming those same men had to create campaigns for women and women, they knew women were their target audience. Well, so this is the, the area I was in. 
mm. was all games and computer games. And okay, in those yes. Mm. Well, you know, today the smart marketeer knows that games and computer games is definitely not male only. In fact, um, when you're thinking about games, uh, because of mobile gaming and indeed even just console gaming, uh, mm-hmm. women play as much, if not in some cases, on mobile more than men. But in those days, it was very seen as niche. It was even seen as like schoolboys, teenagers, guys, and so um, it was focused. You know, that was that was the that focus. was the focus. Okay. Incorrectly, and actually, Sony and the PlayStation did start changing that, mm-hmm. um, as did Nintendo. Once the you know once the Wii came along and all that sort of stuff, but but it was more just a sign of the times. I mean. I don't know if you remember the magazines in those days that were out there. Again, you're probably too young, but but there was basically FHM and Loaded were the oh, yeah. two big men's lifestyle magazines. Mm-hmm. They were huge. They were selling 300,000 copies. And you know what was on the front cover of every single one? It was it was a woman without any clothes on, pretty much. Yeah. Um, with a piece of technology, maybe hiding a boot. Somewhere, like, something. you know, like yeah. this is the focus of the magazine, tech, but ignore everything else okay okay so that was the environment that was you know there was lots of good things about the 90s in the uk in terms of certainly there was this you know cool britannia and Britpop and all this sort of stuff and tony blair coming and all that but there was also you know inclusivity i don't think was really there certainly not in in the way that i i saw it so i think that there was clear sexism for sure Mm -hmm. Um, and then in the campaigns I was involved with, because I was mostly in a male-dominated um, market, it was also very just single-mindedly aimed at guys. Um, so that was that was definitely the case. But in terms of cultural differences or you know um, any any anything like that, it was just not on the radar. Um, okay. Really not. I mean, from a funny enough, from a recruitment point of view, mm-hmm. I would say that. Um, actually, future, uh, we did try um, just find you know the best writers, and that didn't matter uh, where they came from. Mm-hmm. Again, there was just a, there was a bias just by the nature of the um, who the audience was. But but we did you know I, de- I definitely did uh, bring in some very very different people into the mix, um, and it was like you know you didn't need a university degree, you didn't need to mm-hmm. um especially in the games either you needed to love games you needed to and know how that. to communicate them about them and uh and connect with the audience so that that allowed us to bring some very different voices but yeah it wasn't it wasn't really a thing um and then when i'm thinking about the games market um so the people that we that, that bought the advertising in the magazines and that was all very you know that's that's all very much white uh white men who, who who ran those campaigns so that was the 90s when would you say was the first kind of let's narrow it down because it always starts in the oppression olympics it does always start with women <laughs> when would you say there was a shift and i don't really mean in the like the team but a shift in awareness about okay you were in a sector that was like hey we need to market to women we need to change what we're putting out that wasn't so binary, like, you know, oh, we're selling lingerie, so it's women. Like, when would you say that shift kind of happened? So, I mean, because I, I moved around, mm-hmm. um, I saw I saw it when I went back into publishing. Um, it was, I went into sports publishing, so I went suddenly into a very different sector. So it was cycling, triathlon, swimming, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then that was very um, mixed 
you know that was very mixed it was very uh, again this is probably more so in a in a sort of um gender perspective more than anything else but it was it was suddenly not not a thing you know it was it was all the advertising all the copy all the um the teams it was a, it was a mix of people basically and that that so i saw that very quickly Mm -hmm. Having said that, when I then went to Dialect, which was is a marketing agency focused on gaming and tech, so I went back into gaming and tech, and I joined a team of entirely white guys. <laughs> so, so, so it didn't, and that was twenty seventeen. So, you know, okay, and yeah, but they were American though. Well, um, a few of them were American, yes, and okay. a few of them were Brits. But we, so, so the reason I'm, I'm giving you that is that when I joined there, having done all the other things, and it was a small company, and the founders gave me carte blanche to basically run the company the way I wanted to run it. The first thing I said is that I wanted to make this the best culture that we've ever worked in, mm -hmm. and I wanted it to be balanced. Um, certainly from a gender but my focus was gender to be very frank and honest with you at that point mm -hmm. because I was thinking this is the first battle that we need to we need to solve um, and so within a few months I'd brought some senior women into the team um, and you know it took us a while a few years but we got to I think within two or three years we got to a 50 50 um, gender split as mm -hmm. we grew the team so we deliberately focused on recruiting women and also at all levels and uh, yeah and and when was it 20 2021 i think we got to a point where the board was 50 50 as well so at every level we had pretty much a 50 50 split um it's so that, that, was, that was important it being an agency and having kind of you coming in with an agency that has history did that change any dynamics with clients because i'm assuming that's you you're bringing in and building up the british side you're putting essentially your values into the environment you want to work with but there's a history of how they were working with clients before so was it any kind of conversation how did that conversion happen yeah i mean it was very positive because actually the big clients we were dealing with um logi so logitech nvidia amazon at the time um all of them had had very clear Mm. uh values and principles and so mm. actually i remember specifically with logitech when them visibly seeing the team um change in its in its makeup um was only greeted with you know kind of not quite thank god but more like okay <laughs> you're like, now okay. you're you're now more aligned with us um <laughs> than than you might have been you know so so that, I think it was very positive, but it wasn't like a formally done. So it was more mm. like behind the scenes, the the, the CMO, etc., would be like, okay, this is this this makes this makes sense, and um, you know, being introduced to the senior senior members that we were bringing in, as well as um, the makeup of the team. Um, the challenge has been, as you, you know, as you know, has been more cultural diversity for um, certainly for for building a, an agency in the West Country um that's been more challenging not mm. impossible we we have a you know i say we i'm not there anymore um dialect but has, old habits die hard. <laughs> they, they do have a good cultural split from an international perspective so there's you know there's 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 certainly there's asian um there's more international let's say inputs because the company deals with global brands and global campaigns so they mm -hmm. have 
Um, they have employees who come from China and the Philippines, and they have employees um, from India and, you know, from, I'm trying to think of, from the Czech Republic and from Spain and Argentina. So there's, there's, there's lots of accents. And, you know, that's, that's, again, one of the things I wanted because it's what I loved when I was at school, all these accents and different languages. And, but, but, but that's kind of as far as we managed to get, you know. Um, so with that global, working with global brands and having the agency, which there's two elements to inclusive markets. I, I always talk about There's the, it's a good thing to do, but it's also business as well, because it makes so much sense to have a global brand that's advertising games in those areas, thinking of those markets, bringing people in to work on those campaigns. How did you balance? Were you quite upfront with people in relation to like, these are the big brands we're working with, we want your insights, or was it more kind of bring the people along, they will bring their culture, or they will input and help us make ads for these various regions? Um, that's a really good question. Let me think about that. Um, it's, I think it started as we will hire internationally, mm -hmm. because that would bring diversity of thinking to everything that we do. Because if we have have people from different backgrounds and different teams, that will automatically bring a different viewpoint and not then forcing and mm. being overtly going, therefore. Um, so I think it started more uh, what's the opposite of overt, anyway, um, not unintentional, <laughs> but yes, yeah, let's like, create. Practically, yes. So we're bringing together the the right people, the people that from different backgrounds, and that should create diversity of thinking. Mm -hmm. so that's probably been the approach. But having said that, probably as we moved along, we realized that actually it had to become more intentional um, and actually put the right people on the right international campaigns. So we were being a little bit more prescriptive, going actually, if we're dealing with Asia, we should we should really bring the people that have an, an understanding of that market or that or the cultural nuances um, mm -hmm. in, into those conversations because the nuances are so subtle in campaigns that you can't take a let's say i don't know any games i only know sims i think we spoke about this one <laughs> the sims i love it the sims <laughs> games but yeah you can't take a campaign for sims that would be american or british and chuck it in like Morocco or any other country and think it's going to land the same. There's tiny nuance. The game itself probably doesn't change, but the way you speak about it, the way you do the copy. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and even the way it's played sometimes. So even if the core game is the same, there will mm -hmm. be um, different ways for people, people playing, especially when it's much more about collaborative gaming or, um multiplayer gaming across the internet the the way that you do it in different countries has you know has different uh, different ways of playing so it's uh it's really really interesting i love the gaming sector it's the one sector um that i feel the communities that are pushing for change in advertising are ridiculously loud but also very creative I think the reason Sims always comes back up is because I remember before Sims started including a wider range of skin tones and a wider range of like hair types, the gamers started making it themselves. They were yes. like, oh, we're just going to mod it. We're just going to make it. We don't yeah. care. We like the game. We don't like what the company's doing, but we're going to find our conversion. 
And it just speaks to how much technology has adapted over the years. Because when I first played that game, you couldn't mod anything. You just had to play it as is. Yeah. And modding has changed everything, basically. And uh, and now with, you know, the next wave of technology mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, there, there's there's the ability to, even if even if at its core, AI or, or some models might have built-in biases, um, you can change those things fairly easily and fairly quickly as long as you know that that, that, that you need wow. to change them you know, mm. you know yes exactly so that actually leads to my next question on the the hottest topic um ai how do you see that and its relation to marketing yeah it's i mean i don't think anybody's got the answers <laughs> at the moment because they'd be it, it, it's moving so fast and changing mm-hmm. so quickly but it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because AI is a, is allowing us to do certain things way faster than before. Mm-hmm. But it's also therefore allowing us to be potentially way lazier than before. And I think that the people that are going to win are those that are, are not going to just be lazy about it. They're going to actually use the time they gain to really work out the the human nuances and the, the the aspects that we were talking about earlier because mm. you can you know you can structure ideas and documents and you can even get ai to outline ideas for you or to timeline things or to break it down and even visualize stuff it, it really helps speed things along mm-hmm. but it's very difficult um and i think it will be for some time to like just literally give ai a couple of lines and then expect a fully finished, polished, perfect um, campaign mm-hmm. or series of creatives. I think it's it, it only gets you 70% of the way there. Um, and even then it might be only 30% of the way there, but you still have to do the rest of it. So you can either be lazy and just do, okay, I'm just going to do the 30% myself or use the 70% of time you saved to make sure that you're even cleverer about the nuances and that's where it gets interesting because ai can also allow you to adapt things so Mm -hmm. you might come up with the idea yourself and the creative yourself but you might want to adapt it for 20 different countries and it can certainly do things a lot speedier in language terms and it can even you know potentially you can replace the the lip movement mm-hmm. of the video and and it and it lip syncs with the language that, that you've just put in. So all you've done is you've translated it. The script is now in German. It's coming out as German in your in the voice of the actor and the same voice of the actor. And then the lip sync changes as well. So jeepers, that's great. Um, the key though is how do you make sure the nuances that we talked about are changed? You don't do a straight translation. So if you've got a bit of time because of everything else is, is, is given you that time, I would work on that. How do you adapt the script so that it's more relevant to the German market or the Moroccan market? Um, that is so interesting because, and it's funny you use that example. I was recently in the US and we were given the opportunity to tour the Disney sound studios. And interestingly, I made the assumption that when Disney created The Little Mermaid, they put it in a bunch of languages, they used AI. They said it was easier to find someone who can sing like Hallie, the Little Mermaid, in the language than it was to try and get AI to adapt the nuance of how people speak. Mm. So 
word for word translations. It's like you still in the process, you still need the person. Yes. I was yes. very much thinking of the campaigns you're talking like, even if you were to implement AI into the process you have with dialect, you still need the person from that region with that local understanding. You would do, yes. Yeah. I mean, the 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 way that the voice training, the voice models are coming, that have been evolving, I guess, mm-hmm. since The Little Mermaid. Um, it is getting closer and closer now. Certainly in the spoken word, word, maybe not so in the singing world at this point, but certainly spoken word world, um, it's getting the nuances of even keeping the same voice but moving it into Italian. It it is become it's it's much more Italian in its style. So it's becoming cleverer in that sense, even pausing at the right time, putting the right emphasis on the right syllable, you know, all of that stuff. Um, it's not it's, it's probably not 100% there but it's 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 really close so I think I think it will get there so I I, I, I but it, back to the point is you still need okay. the local person even if it's not to read it out in the long run maybe now but in the long run I reckon that will be replaced but it's actually in understanding what what you want to focus on for that market because you mm. can, if you just if you decide to it's the same for every every market because everybody responds in the same way. It's forgetting that actually people buy a lot emotionally and buy based on their motivations. And different different people from different backgrounds have different motivations and and certainly different um, reasons for doing things. So it's think it's that's where we have to pay place our thinking and and our time. I feel like this, and I'm excited by this because I hadn't thought about it in this way that marketers are going to go back to the psychology roots. Like I've, there's so many marketers who don't yeah. realize how closely, because I studied psychology undergrad and I was like, oh, this is the same. But you kind of learn the four Ps or you learn the flywheel and it doesn't mention the word psychology. So people don't get it. But yeah, we're going back to psychological roots. We're going to become market translators rather than just the content doers. Absolutely. I- I was about to say, just before you said that, I was going, it's going to require more psychology because that's where the nuances are, understanding mm. the difference, the different, I said, motivators for the target audience in different sectors, rather instead of just saying everybody who is 20 years old and who is female across the world has the same motivations, you know, and it's, it's going to be more subtle. Um, and because of AI, it's going to allow you to be more subtle because it it would have been too expensive to be subtle across a campaign across the world Mm -hmm. five years ago but it's in terms of changing creative adapting creative to be more subtle you know you're going to be able to create 500 versions of something at a fraction of the cost and therefore you can become more subtle but you've got to do it you know with the right right reasoning and a right thought process and that's when psychology is going to come into it that is really interesting. I really hadn't thought about it in that element. Yay. I, I love the, the nuances of marketing. Like there's the big campaigns and the putting content out. I think I fell out of love with social media for a while because of that. I came into the stage just pumping things out. And I'm like, I'm not, I miss diving into analytics. I miss trying to figure out why did everyone bounce from this one page or they stopped scrolling halfway down? Like it's a continuous puzzle. Yes. Um, what 
sticking on the AI question, I'd love to know, are you using AI tools? I think I can assume the answer is yes. (laughs) Which is your current favorite? Because they, for me, they're changing daily. They do change daily. Um, So I use, so I use um, a tool called Fireflies for, as my meeting assistant. So Fireflies is a godsend. It's, you know, there are lots of meeting assistants, AI assistants around now. Uh, Otter is, is, one of the industry um uh, zoom has obviously one that you're using right now uh, and i use fireflies i found because i tested a lot of them and to be honest i tested them six months ago so things probably have changed but at the time <clears throat> i found that fireflies had the best transcription and certainly the best um summaries of the of the calls i would have because mm-hmm. i was doing an awful lot of research calls for the university I needed something that I could rely on. Um, and it has these amazing tools that allow you to just look at keywords and, and press the keyword and it highlights all the points in the transcript that mentions the keywords. But it also tries to summarize the task, uh, the the action points mm-hmm. from the meeting and stuff like that is really cool. So Fireflies is super helpful from a personal productivity point of view. I I use chat GPT like everybody does. Good old classic. Um, Paid or I, free. Well, I use the paid because I, I, I use the unified version. So that's become unified what, in the last two weeks, three weeks. So uh, unified meaning for, I mean, I know you know, but for, for your listeners, it's like it's the version that has Dali and chat and the internet and data and uh, analytics all in one. So you mm-hmm. you, you used to have to, and, and uploads of, of, you can upload things. So you used to have to upload your PDF using a plugin on a separate chat and then you would have to copy and paste that into a new chat to then say hey do this thing with this upload and then after that you wanted a picture to go with it you would have to do a separate thing with dali uh, on dali on a separate system all of that is unified so since that unification that's probably been my uh, go-to mm-hmm. but i've been playing around with a music ai mm-hmm. so this is not work related this is fun related um I, I was I was I've been helping a company called Voiceify dot um, AI, and they they basically do covers. Um, so what you do is you paste a you copy and paste a YouTube URL from any song you want mm-hmm. uh, into the system. It then strips the AI strips out the vocals and leaves you with an instrumental, and and then you run the vocals through a voice model of another artist. So let's say you take a Taylor Swift song. And then you run the voice model through Bono from U2, say, and then it mixes it back together. And then you have Bono singing a Taylor Swift song. And um, it is so much fun. You can just spend so much time. And because I do my own music, I've also used it not just for songs that are well known. I use it for my own music. So mm-hmm. I then, I then because I've sung, I've got a terrible voice, but I've sung on my own tracks. And I've then replaced my voice with, like Morrissey from the Smiths or with uh, Peter Gabriel or whatever. And um, so that's been great fun. So that's probably been one of my, one of my favorite tools, but um, yeah, really at the moment, I'm just trying to keep track. It's, it is it's crazy. fast moving. It is very, very like one month in AI is like a year or even a decade in other industries. It's, it's, it's mad. It's, yeah. it's absolutely mad. I, I I can't. I've been trying to get some businesses. 
So one of the things that I'm doing um, locally here in the Southwest is teaming up with a few people to see whether we can bring some resources together for businesses and people who kind of not quite burying their heads, but they, they don't want to get involved with AI because they're a little bit worried about it or they're, they, they're not sure, they don't quite fully understand the ramifications. We want to bring some resources together. So some guides to like what to use for what purposes and how to mm. use it. So, you know, just build um, just to help these companies that might not be as tech savvy as others. So it's it's kind of the other, it's not tech spark, it's the other side of tech spark, which is everybody else that's not in tech, yeah. um, you know, and helping those companies because it's moving so fast. But, but the thing is, a lot of those companies are not even, they've not even started. And that's the bit. Yeah. I honestly think any marketers who haven't even just touched ChatGPT, disagree, like it, dislike it, are going to feel the repercussions, especially next in 2024. Yeah. Um, it's the time to mess around. Is that now where everything seems chaotic? Is the time to make mistakes, see how you like it, because when it becomes, it's like social. All yeah. the companies that said they didn't want to be involved in social media, social media market. I remember when I first started my agency, someone said, "You can't sell anything on social media." <laughs> um, UK, <Yeah. laughs> are you? Have you been around? What's Have happening? You, do you know? Um, speaking of selling and campaigns, that was a horrible segue, but I tried. <laughs> Let me know what campaign you are you like recently or have been seen that's either inclusive, not so inclusive. Everyone's yeah. been bringing nice ones. So let me know what your one is. It's interesting. I mean, I, it's, I, I don't know whether I classify this as inclusive, but it deals with, um, it's a campaign that 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 really struck home because it deals with um, some men male mental health issues. <laughs> um, so I think I think it's inclusive in a way because it's it's obviously dealing with something that used to be taboo or is or is probably still seen as taboo in some in some communities. But it's done in an environment that is that is actually in some ways super inclusive, which is football, but also not mm -hmm. inclusive. So. Uh, I, I'm a massive football fan, have been since uh, a tiny, tiny child, has played football for as long as my knees allowed me to, has coached football. I could literally live and, you know, I love football. Um, I don't quite love it at the high, high level um, as much as I used to, mm -hmm. because I think that's, it's been spoiled by money to a degree, but but I love, you know, I, I, I love the sort of local football, all, all aspects of it. And I love the, what it means to the communities. And um, anyway, this campaign that I that really struck home is the Norwich City um, Samaritans campaign. So I don't know if you oh, know. No, I do not. And the Samaritans, I know Samaritans. I know nothing about football. So this is going to be an interesting one. So, yeah, I mean, the the campaign, for those of you who haven't seen it, it's a two minute film um, that Norwich City created with their in-house. In they didn't even do this via an agency. Um, they did it in-house and it just... The camera stays exactly in the same place for two minutes and it just shows two guys, two friends at, at a football match. And mm -hmm. it goes obviously over time uh, during the football match. And one of them is quite introverted, doesn't get up much, claps very quietly. And the other one's like going crazy every time there's a goal and is, is constantly trying to chat to him. And, and you know, uh, it's going to be a spoiler alert, but basically you get to the end of the, the video and the uh, introverted chap turns up and lays a scarf over the seat of the really extroverted chap because basically 
the, the you know the, the the inference is that the extroverted chap took his own life basically and um and it's like the whole point is you're not it's not the people that you actually think um mm-hmm. who are struggling that are struggling and um it's it was an incredible campaign but which which hit home um with a lot of people and what it then did which which i loved is that they it then sort of it, it, it hit home very well within Norwich, but they went way beyond. And Norwich is like a championship side. You know, they're not a massive side, but they managed to get pretty much every other side in the championship. So that's 22 clubs, I think it is, or 24, mm-hmm. 22 clubs, um, to all do something on the same weekend. So they basically, on the scoreboard at every single game, you know, like half an hour before the game, they list, they put who's going to be, who's on the team sheet, it appears okay. on the scoreboard. And instead, on the scoreboard, they had um, they had the uh, uh, the starting eleven, you know, exactly the same way. And then it said number one, mum; number two, dad; number three, partner; number four, colleague; number five, brother; number six, sister. So all the people who should be that you should be able to talk to, or who are important to you, or you know, that so the the team aspect team. of it. Okay, this is they, your football team. Yeah, yeah. this is your yeah. team. You know, and they did, and they did that across the entire, um, pretty much the, the entire championship, and so that the impact it had um, was was huge, really. And um, and they did it over the the tannoy and um, the sponsors of the football club, who normally have the shirt sponsorship on the sleeve, on the front, on the back. They all gave their spot over to the Samaritans. So on that weekend, they all had Samaritans logos. So it was just, um, it's just a really great, uh, impactful campaign. And you know what? The interesting thing is, it was run by the football club, by the football club's team. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't big money. Agency, you know, yeah. it wasn't outsourcing. And and yeah, it was uh, really really impressive. And I. The other one that I loved, which um, which has a slight connection, is the uh, is the Uber. Um, oh, who is it with? It's with the chat from Sex Education. Oh, um, and uh, the new Doctor Who, isn't he? No, not that one. Uh, but oh. no, he's amazing. No, the uh, oh, what's his name? I'm gonna have to find it here. So it's with. While you're uh, looking for that one, I I love that. Because sometimes when a industry partners with a charity, it goes too far away from what the, the the narrative is. Yes. And there's so many layers within that about what football is outside of the game itself. Like football is community, football is friendship, football is all these things yeah. and tradition. And the fact that, not saying that in-house isn't like an agency, but they were able to tap all of that in the partnership and it didn't feel like it was an ad for either part no no exactly it's equally balanced equally yoked because sometimes in those certain situations you get to especially i feel like charitable ads have changed over the past couple of years because before you get to and you're like they're gonna ask for money you're doubting that moment you're like oh it's gonna they're gonna put a qr code on they're gonna do something but this definitely kept that football narrative kept that reality is backed by data because I did see someone did a data science analysis on football chat rooms and found that uh, unfortunately some men do go to football commentary moments before they do take their own life wow 
and they were trying to analyze how to find those comments and contact those individuals before. They said they have like a period of like a day or two. Wow. Because football and the teams they support is their family. So they're going there to say goodbye. Mm. And all of that awareness, all of that knowledge in an ad that's really the center storyline for me is the friendship and what that means. Yeah. And so many layers is it's beautiful when partnerships and this is the, the element of marketing sometimes that I find tricky. Marketing is still always marketing, but yeah. we do get to put across things that are deeper. But at the same time, on the flip end, you're like, so what was the analytics on that? <laughs> yeah. so, what, what were the KPIs on that? Interestingly, the us who do like numbers i'm trying to find I, I did read that it had some some crazy reach like the the video on youtube had something like 40 or 50 million views i mean it, mm. it's absolutely crazy how it how it took off and the 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 club got taken completely by surprise um but yes it's uh, it's it's one of these one of these things there's a lot of um lots of things that happened from it that they did not expect but i think because they they planned it so well i think i seem to remember reading something that they spent at least four months just talking with the samaritans about the ideas and the concepts and way before they started planning anything and i think um i think everything else because the concept was so strong everything else then fell into place like you know other the other sponsors giving up their space their the other clubs getting involved all it, it became because it made so much sense um mm-hmm. and it was well thought through and it was this whole concept that, that that the football club is you're part of your family and and it needs to be you know you need to sort of pay attention to not just the quiet ones but you know to to, to everybody around you i think was was really really important so um so yeah i think it, it's had an amazing impact um and it's it's i think you know guys I, guys are really don't talk enough and so to be able to try and show it in this classic environment of which mm-hmm. you know, football has a lot of negativity so you know it's like classic environment where it's foul-mouthed and you know it, it's it can be racist and it can be homophobic and it can be all those things that we've been trying to kick out um but it's also for a lot of people it's 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 a very important um support and it, it can be a very important support so so yeah, I think the context of it was really important. Um, so yeah, great, great campaign. Great yeah, campaign. I love it. The reason I was going to mention the other one was not to compare it. It was more that it was a sim. It, there was not not similarity, but it was it was also two guys talking, mm-hmm. and and <laughs> this is me. It was talking a lot about balancing the genders, and I've got mostly the campaigns I like are with, with are more about guys' mental health. But it was the um, Robert De Niro and. Asa Butterfield. So Asa Butterfield is the the guy who plays in sex education. He plays the the sex therapist um, okay. character, mm-hmm. and it's for Uber Eats. And it's basically the two of them. So one of them, Robert De Niro, is obviously in his eighties. Asa is in his twenties, and they basically a friendship strikes up between these two people on set. And uh, but it's all about them driving, doing things together all powered obviously by uber or uber eats and stuff like that it's it was it's all about experiencing things and that's uh, you know bonding over food both bonding over experiences which i really liked because even though that's clearly marketing for uber Mm -hmm. it was more the the generational 
total difference and yet these two people being brought together by by experiences which i really really loved i thought that was um it's a great if you haven't seen it it's a great video it's well worth watching yeah, um, check that one out but that's much more like you know that was produced by mother that's like a proper like big big budget so yeah. it compares this is why i prefer the norwich one if i was to if, if i had to choose um uh, and and obviously norwich deals with 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 suicide which is uh, you know on much more on the on the scale um but this is still an interesting thing about guys talk needing to talk more and build relationships and bonds yeah i definitely feel that there's elements of inclusive marketing that aren't the straight up you know gender split and all that stuff they're elements that are just things and content that is lack of better phrase bucking the trend yes of of whatever the industry normally does and not just the creative trend it's not saying hey if you normally do an ad in a football field do it in an airplane like not going beyond that but just looking at what are the taboos that we've been avoiding to talk about and how can we incorporate that and show that within show our target audience in a different light? Yes, exactly mm. right. And it's bringing things together. That, as you say, you don't, you don't normally see friendship developing between an 80 year old and a 20 year old. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's, you don't see people talking about suicide at football and you don't, those are the important, really, really, I think I think it opens up ways for us to talk about not just those things, but a whole bunch of other difficult conversations that that, that people and they're not shiny and spangly and lovely are. You know, the real conversations, the real topics that we should be addressing. Um, mm-hmm. Which I think for me, a lot of inclusive marketing—that's what it's about. It's including, yes, different people, different voices, but it's also different subjects and different topics, things that we're not used to bringing to the attention of um, consumers through through marketing. To the forefront, I love it. Yeah. Um, that brings me on to my final question then. What do you think the future of inclusive marketing is going to be, will look like, will feel like? What, what are your thoughts? Wow, this is really interesting. I mean, because I'm, I'm an optimist, I'm usually quite a positive optimist, um, but I do, I do think we are, well, we have well entered and are in the middle of um, a sort of period of where there is, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, you know, in terms of there's polarization, mm-hmm. really. So there's there's what we <laughs> we here the, would like to see, which is, you know, all these topics we talked about, nothing's taboo, um, that actually we we think about our target audience as what they are which is a multicultural mixture of people and we therefore think about how the nuances are so so how we talk to there's there's that whole world Mm -hmm. um which i'd like to think is where the majority (laughs) lives but i do also think that there's this crazy sort of side um which is thinking of all of this as woke and and Mm. and i you know i I don't have a problem with the word woke because I th- I see the word woke as actually having empathy and understand, but 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 I actually see there's a there's a whole group, quite a vocal and large group certainly in the states, possibly in in you know certainly in Western Europe, which is therefore fighting against that, and you know being very very vocal. So I'm, I'm I think we're going through a, we're going to be going through a period of um, of battle 
to a degree and it's, it's, it's seeing where the brands and where the money goes is important because because mm. fundamentally money does talk and if like was it this week another bunch of brands left um the platform that used to be called twitter um and you know finally again this is too much we've got to we've got to stop backing this you know that that will hopefully move towards putting that sort of money into uh platforms and content and um that, that actually goes along the lines of more more the topics we talked about that needed to be covered the way things are portrayed you know uh, all, all of that and then if it does happen that way then i think that the future is is bright in that sense that we would mm-hmm. we're then it, it's then about testing how how do we bring all of these things together in a way that is the right way but also still as you said it still still hits the kpis and <laughs> delivers the results right um but i do fear there's going to be an ongoing battle for a few years um, okay. with 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 this view that anything inclusive which is obviously the right thing to do is seen as bizarrely seen as woke and therefore you know uh in, in a weird way being restrictive or or anti-free speech or you know all these just crazy crazy bonkers um ideas but that are getting an awful lot of time and mm. And causing a lot of um, a lot of rifts. So, yeah, I think the power is going to be with the brands, and it's going to be up to them to decide how they want to play it. Um, and and for me, it should you know the consumers should be the winners, and the consumers are a uh, you know are a massive what's the word a sort of mesh of all yeah. sorts of backgrounds and people and. And that's that's basically who you want to communicate with. So you should you should get with the program and communicate in a way that that engages all of these different people. It's interesting because I think going back to what we mentioned earlier about with AI, people are going to go back to psychology. Mm. And I feel I don't have the proof, but I do feel some brands are choosing inclusive marketing because they know they'll get a certain response Mm. from a certain audience that is negative. But that negative, going back to marketing being marketing, Mm. leads to clicks, leads to um, other things writing. And if we're going back to marketing based on evoking emotion, we might accidentally all become inclusive in a weird way. Yeah. Like, like, I think, and it's making me think, I need, I keep saying we're going to do a case study on this, but it's making me think of Buzz Light. And some of the things that happened in all of that backlash or however it was, was people were buying the product to destroy the product. <laughs> Which in business case is actually kind of, because they're still spending money. Yeah. It's but weird. It's, it's, it's weird and very capitalist society element of it. But I like the balance of, you know, optimism, but some elements of realism. We might yeah. stumble into it. I am neither nor. I'm just like, society will societize as it does. As it and does. That's not a word. But um, thank you so much for joining me, David. I really, really appreciate having you on the podcast. It's been a real pleasure. Always good to see you. And, good to uh, see you too. Let the people know where they can find you. Oh, um, so, yeah, well, interestingly, where am I? Um, I'm not on I'm not on X anymore so that that's that's off uh 
the best place for me is LinkedIn these days, mm-hmm. probably. Um, so David Mar Roberts. Uh, I am on Insta at David PMR. I think it is. Um, but yes, that's pretty much that's pretty much it these days. I've I've kind of closed down my Twitter account and um, I've been playing with threads and yeah. not yet sure how that's panning out, but. I think I've got the same. It's the same as my Insta. So um, threads or Insta are the best place. Okie dokie. We'll pop all those links in the show notes. Again, thank you so much for joining me. And thank you for tuning in to the Marketing Made Inclusive podcast. I'm your host, Joanne Boyce. You can find me on all social networks at Joanne Boyce. And tune in next week for another episode where we dive into all things inclusive marketing.